man, he is sovereign of all creation. My, my grandmother used to, she didn't use words like sovereign. She just would say he's in control of all things. And I'm, I'm grateful that we don't serve a God that's weak, uh, that's unable to be sovereign over all of creation, but we serve a God that can flex his muscles in any part of creation. And that doesn't mean just here on earth, but even in the universe, he's just, the stars are upheld by his word right now. Uh, the sun is in its place right now because our God is sovereign of all creation. And that should be good news for us. Good morning, Epiphany. It is so good to be back with you. Uh, I deeply, deeply missed you guys and uh, grateful for another day. It's a cold day, though. I mean, that, that, I don't know where that just, that wind just came from nowhere. Um, but I am grateful to even the fact that we can feel the coldness uh, is an extension of God's grace because we didn't have to wake up this morning. He didn't owe you a day, right? Just the fact that you woke up is an extension of God's grace goodness, his mercy, and his grace, and his kindness, and we should be thankful for that. And so I am I'm thankful to be with you. Listen, I am, uh, I'm eager to get to the Word, but before we do that, I want to, it looks like I'm the third person to talk about Thanksgiving, but, you know, Thanksgiving is fastly approaching, and um, I think it's important just to give you a pastoral push, if you will, for really two different reasons. First is, I don't know about you, but most of us gather with either family or friends, and many times you're gathering with non-believers. And so what would it look like for you this week to just be praying for what your time looks like Thursday with maybe family members that don't know Jesus and friends that don't know Jesus? A lot of times we look at Thanksgiving as just a break uh, from work, but the truth is that and, and the turkey and stuffing, uh, and that you should rejoice over that, but I pray that you would also um, just be thinking missionally, in terms of Thanksgiving as well. The second thing is just as a church, we desire to serve and really we preach the gospel on a consistent basis. But, you know, things like what we're doing on Wednesday really help us to put shoes on the gospel to really walk out what it looks like to serve our community. Uh, and so we will be getting together here on Wednesday between six and eight, literally just to serve our community. There's, there's no charge, everything's free. And uh, if I'm honest with you, the food that we are going to be giving out it isn't stuff that we wouldn't have on Thursday. It's good food that we're going to be giving out on, on Wednesday. And so if you have any space in your schedule this week, even Tuesday, I think we needed some help Tuesday. Uh, so if you have space in your schedule that you can help us on Tuesday to be able to prepare meals and uh, just get ready for Wednesday. And then if you have some time in your schedule for Wednesday to be able to help, we'd love that. Um, let me say it this way. There are a ton of people that don't know Jesus that will be coming through to get food. And so there's really two ways you can help volunteer. Number one, you can help by serving food and maybe even being outside with a sign saying what we're doing. Uh, but the second way is just you being here because Thanksgiving is never just about food, right? You sit at a table and you have conversation. And so one of the things we want to do is we want to hear the hurts and the pains and even the joys of our community. So Maybe you just being here, having a conversation, finding out uh, the people that are coming, finding out who they are and, you know, what their kids do, what they do, finding those things out is very, very important. So if you are at all interested to, um, to help us on Tuesday or Wednesday, please see Gabe. We, if I'm honest, we need more volunteers. So please uh, see Gabe. Gabe, raise your hand. I don't know if that's Gabe. So uh, you guys see him. All right. Luke chapter 19. Guys are quiet today, boy. 
All right, Luke chapter number 19. We have been in a series called Red Letters. Red Letters means we are focusing on the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, it almost feels like we're going through a series on Luke because we can't get out of the book of Luke. The first week we were in Luke chapter 20 and we talked about the wicked tenets. And the second week, which was last week, my boy Pastor Kurt came and preached and uh, preached on Luke chapter 10 about the good Samaritan Uh, I'm kind of going in between those and going to Luke 19, uh, which is where we will camp out this morning. Uh, And I'm excited about it. If you got it, if you could just say amen. All right. Verse number one through 10 is where we will be. He, talking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax, tax collector. Circle this phrase. And he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by that way. Verse number five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house. Circle this today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, talking about the crowd. He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Verse number eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. Verse 10, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. I want to preach from the topic entitled New Beginnings. New Beginnings. Let us pray. Father, this morning we come to be challenged by your word. Uh, You have been faithful, Lord, to meet us every single week that we come and pray that today would be no different. Holy Spirit, would you move on us today? I need the Spirit to proclaim your uh, infallible, perfect word, but we all need your your spirit to hear what it is that you are saying to us. And spirit, as you are moving on us, you, we pray that you would crystallize Jesus today. Would you help us to focus in and zoom in on, on the person and the work of Jesus Christ? Psalms 115.1, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you get glory. So Father, we pray that you would be glorified today through your word. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. New beginnings. At the End of the summer uh, this year, we set out to uh, renovate this space. It was an old workout space, literally had pink carpet, a blue ceiling. Uh, Walls were in places that they shouldn't have been, and we had to put up walls where we needed them to be. And so we set out to do cosmetic work on this space. Well, simultaneously, as we were doing this place, uh, the space across the street began to get renovated. I was intrigued and interested to see what that space would become. Uh, well, slowly but surely, they started to put up the sign, and it was Mr. Liquor uh, right across the street. Uh, and, and I, man, it almost felt like we were in competition to see who could do the space faster. And they, I mean, they had a machine over there. They had all types of people. They were on top of the roof dropping stuff down and pulling stuff up. We had a few of us in here not, you know, bringing up plywood and toilets. I, I can't prove this. But one of the days, I think the owner looked at us and kind of gave us like a Michael Jackson, like, yeah, we finished him before y'all. But whatever the case may be, I I didn't say anything to him. 
But I was intrigued. I wanted to see what the ending of that space would look like. They finished it pretty quickly. I was saying about less than a month, maybe close to a month. I went over to the space when they finished it just to look inside. And to my surprise, well, first of all, it was a liquor store. To my surprise, they put a plexiglass up inside the store. Now, we're in the hood, right? We see this all the time where you put a plexiglass up to stop the customers from actually touching the merchandise. We see this in Chinese stores and bodegas. We see this all the time on corner stores. Many of our stores right here on this street have plexiglass. And it's always interesting when you think about what that is communicating, a nonverbal communication. When you're putting plexiglass up, what you're saying to a customer is that we don't trust you, right? When you have a plexiglass up, you're saying, we don't want you to come in and steal our merchandise. We don't want you to come in with dogs. We don't want you in here cursing. We don't want you to even rob us. And so I get it. It makes sense to me. But really what you're doing to a customer is you're saying, you know what? I don't care about you. I just want your money. There's, a, there's an assumed behavior that you're going to have when you come into this store, and so I'm just going to put a plexiglass up and talk to you from behind it. Unfortunately, the church in many ways operates like Mr. Liquor across the street. So we don't have real plexiglass up, but we do have imaginary plexiglass up. What do I mean by that? I mean by that when sinners walk in, we automatically put a plexiglass up. We don't want that mess in the church. When the truth of the matter is, if the gospel is doing exactly what it said it would, which verse 10 says, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. If we're reaching the lost, the church should be a bit messy. The church shouldn't be clean and put together, but the church should have uh, some issues in it. And if we have plexiglass up, we won't have issues because all of us look alike and we'll keep the sinners at bay. We won't let them completely in when the truth of the matter is everyone, y'all come here every week and I tell you every week, you're a sinner. I don't hide it. Every single week, I want you to be clear. I want you to be up front. I don't want you walking out saying, man, I'm a good person. No, if plexiglass goes up in the church, we're the ones behind the plexiglass. You're not the one on the other side with the merchandise. Jesus always is. And so in our text today, we see that God is going after a not just a sinner, but Jericho's biggest sinner. Jesus is now going after Zacchaeus, and he's going after Zacchaeus to give him a new beginning. And if you're in this room, let me assure you that you can have a new beginning in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you can have a new beginning of Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, you can also have a new beginning if you have messed up before. John 14, 6 says this. This is what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is what Paul says, a little bit more clear. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has become. So that's good news for all of us. You have a chance at a new beginning, despite bad decisions, moral failures, despite missed opportunities and shattered dreams, you have a new beginning. Zacchaeus in our text today is going to be confronted with a new uh, beginning and his new beginning always starts with Jesus. Jesus is the one that's going to go after him. So let, let's do this. Let's expositionally walk through each one of these verses and see what we can get out of it. Verse number one. 
he, again, talking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Our text today opens up by introducing us to the name Zacchaeus. Why is that important? Because the scripture doesn't often give us the name of the person that Jesus is going after. Sometimes, well, most of the time, the scripture defines somebody by two different ways, either by their condition or by their occupation. Let me give you an example of that. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is introduced to a woman with an issue of blood. We do not know her name. Scripture never gives us her name. It just says her condition. She has an issue of blood. And then it tells us for, for 12 years she's had this problem. If you keep going in Luke chapter 14, you see that all of these people are gathering at a ruling Pharisee's house and a man with dropsy just decides to show up. Dropsy is a condition where your body retains fluid. We don't know the man with dropsy's name. What about the 10 lepers? There's 10 of them. We don't know any of their names. All we know is their condition. We know that they have leprosy. And so the Bible often defines people by their condition or either their occupation. In Genesis chapter 40, we get two occupations, a cupbearer and a baker. We know that the cupbearer holds the cup for the king and the baker is the one that cooks for the king. A cupbearer and a baker, we do not get their name. We see that as well in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer. Do not get his name. The reason I want to put these characters out to you is because the scripture often doesn't give us names, but we aren't handicapped today. We're privileged in the fact that we get to know who the character's name is. It's Zacchaeus that Jesus is going after. Zacchaeus is important because Zacchaeus literally means pure or righteous. Apparently, he had devout parents that really thought that he was going to live up to that name of being pure and being righteous. Unfortunately, our boy Zacchaeus failed his parents miserably because he became a tax collector. Now, let's talk a little bit about tax collectors. Verse number two tells us that, that he is a tax collector. Why is this important? Because tax collectors were hated in Israel. They were absolutely despised in Israel. And they were despised for two reasons. The first reason that a tax collector was despised was because tax collecting was inherently corrupt. You think our political system is corrupt? I mean, a tax collector would buy the right from Rome to be able to collect taxes. They would, they're supposed to collect $20 on behalf of Rome. They collect 30, pocket 10, give Rome 20. And everybody knew it and nobody could do anything about it. And so tax collectors were hated. But that's not the only reason they were hated. If that's the only reason they're hated, I'm like, man, it's $10, get over it. But the second reason that tax collectors were hated was because who they were collecting the taxes for, Rome. Rome was a brutal regime and they were oppressive to Israel. I mean, Rome, the Roman soldiers could literally walk in your house, rape your wife and your children, and you can't do anything about it. There's no court system. I mean, in fact, the roads leading up to Rome, on the roads leading up, they would have had stakes in the road. And literally, if you defied Rome, they would hang you on the stakes leading up to Rome. And there was, it just wanted to send one message. I'm walking into this city. I'm going into this city by horse. And the only thing I can think about is I better not mess with Rome because I'm going to end up on this, on this road. So Rome was a brutal regime. And so think about this. 
I am collecting taxes to fund, supply, and feed an army that probably raped my family. I'm collecting taxes for a brutal regime that probably killed a family member and put them on the road. And so when you think of tax collector, what we do is we read the scripture and we run by a tax collector. Okay, that's cool. No, he was a wicked person because he was Jewish and he was celebrating what Rome was doing by collecting taxes. And so he was hated. But our boy Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. The scripture tells us in verse number two, he's a chief tax collector. So he's not the dude outside smoking weed on the corner. No, he's the kingpin. He's the one, he's the drug lord. And so don't think just a minor sinner. No, this this is the top sinner in Jericho. And so the Bible says he's a He's, a, he's a, a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. So we're introduced to his name. He's Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. We got his occupation. But there's one more important fact, and I asked you to underline it when I read it. Verse number two says, and he was rich. This is very important that we get to know his socioeconomic makeup. We, you, you know what's funny about this? Because when it says he was rich, that statement reveals to us the fact that you can be rich and still be empty. You can be rich and still need Jesus. Like, I I don't know if you heard of the prosperity gospel. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it this morning. The The prosperity gospel does not make sense when I read texts like this. Because what the prosperity gospel assumes is that faith and riches go together. Can you believe me when I say faith and riches don't always go together? Because if it was, why is our boy Zacchaeus going after Jesus? Why is he climbing his rich butt in a sycamore tree if he already has money, he already has faith, right? According to the prosperity gospel, no. This shows us that you can be rich and still deeply, deeply need Jesus. Not to mention the fact that the only person getting rich off the prosperity gospel is the preacher that's preaching the prosperity gospel. And it doesn't make sense anywhere else in the world but in America. In America, we can preach that stuff and have packed out houses. But our boy Zacchaeus is rich. And he's going after Jesus. And so faith and riches don't always align. You can be poor and love Jesus. You can be poor and love Jesus. So this is an important fact to us. If faith and riches, if faith, if riches meant that I have more faith, Warren Buffett is the most spiritual person in the world. Oprah knows Jesus. Donald Trump is closer to Jesus than you. If faith and riches always go together, but faith and riches do not always go together. Our boy Zacchaeus knew, I'm rich, but I need Jesus. I need him. And so we can't determine that riches and faith always go together. You can be rich and unhappy. You can be powerful and unloved. You can be successful and unsatisfied. Let's keep going. Verse number three. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass, talking about Jesus. So Jesus is about to pass this way, and this short tax collector says, I can't see him because of the crowd, so let me climb up in this sycamore tree. When I think short and I think of Zacchaeus, I'm often thinking of like Danny DeVito. Like, like he, he, this guy shops in the petite section. Like he's, he's small. And so he needs to climb up in a tree so that he, he's not climbing up there to be seen. 
He's climbing up there to see. The scripture makes that clear. And that's really important for us because in the Near East, in the ancient Near East, a man of Zacchaeus status normally didn't climb up in trees to embarrass himself. He didn't do that. Normally you don't do that, but when you need Jesus, you will, you will climb up in a tree. And Zacchaeus felt that seeing Jesus really was more important than anything. It was more important than maintaining his own image. And this is a word to believers in this room and non-believers. To non-believers first, listen, don't let anything get in your way of seeing Jesus. Let me not say anything. Don't let anybody get in your way of seeing Jesus. Zacchaeus made up in his mind that he wasn't going to let anything. He was going to press his way no matter what. I'm going to run ahead of the crowd. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard to get up this sycamore tree just so I can lay my eyes on Jesus. Listen to me. What normally happens with non-believers is we don't want to move the stuff and the clutter out of our, out of our way to get to Jesus. We think we can fix our own self. We think we can fix our own sin. Listen to me, you can't fix your own sin. Trying to fix your own sin is like going to Niagara Falls with a toolbox and a wrench and trying to fix a leaky faucet. It's impossible to do. You cannot fix your own sin. You need Jesus. And so that's the word to the non-believer. To the believer, it's very important to see, don't give up on anybody. If you would have taken a poll in Jericho to see who was the biggest sinner in town, Everybody would have pointed to Zacchaeus. So when I read texts like this, that God, that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh is going after the most wicked person in that town. This leads me to believe that we stopped praying for people that we thought were too far for God because we just didn't think God was going to reach them. We look at people like some of you have on your mind, people that you've probably prayed for that are, you think are too far, they're hostile to the gospel, they're hostile to Jesus, they're hostile to the things of Jesus, and you've stopped praying for them. I know I have. If I can be honest with you, when I was working through this text this week, it was almost like the Spirit was like, there's three Zacchaeuses in your life that you think are just too far. Three of them. Start to name them. So I took out my journal and I wrote down these three names and I started to pray for people. And, and here's the thing that legitimately did me wrong. Legitimately did me wrong. But I said, Lord, you got to save this person. Despite what I feel, you got to save this person. And can I challenge you in this room to do the same thing? And let, let's use this as, as the, I'm challenging you as, as the mannequin challenge, which by the way, I saw y'all did the mannequin challenge last week. And I was a little offended that y'all did it without me, but it's all, y'all had Pastor Kurt up here like, whatever. It's all, it's all good. We got we to gotta redo that. Just, just saying. But when, 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 I think, when I think about this challenge, here, here's the challenge for you. For seven days, I ask that you would pray for somebody that you know you think is too far for the Lord to reach. This person that's unredeemable, you just think God can't love them. They're just way out there. They're high. I've tried to talk to them about the gospel, and they're hostile towards it. So I just gave up. I've, dust, I've wiped my hands, washed my hands. I've dusted my feet. I'm done with them. No. Can you pray for them for seven days? And at the end of the seven days, why don't you pick up the phone, call them, and just ask probing questions. How you doing? What's going on in life? anything I can pray for you for, and look for an opportunity to share the gospel. After you've prayed for that person for seven straight days every day, by the time you get to a conversation with them, you should feel some Holy Spirit boldness. 
to be able to work through the gospel with them. Trust me, Zacchaeus isn't the one that we're looking at getting saved in Jericho. And what we do is we think, man, that person's too far, but we think we made it in based off privilege. Here's the truth. You made it in by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. You didn't add anything to your salvation. But yet we look at somebody else and say, yeah, you can't reach them. But he reached you. He reached me. And he does that. He can reach anybody. If he reached down and saved Zacchaeus, he can reach anybody. I, um, I was reading the end of chapter 18. And if you're taking notes, consider this, because this really blew my mind. At the end of chapter 18, Jesus saves, and I'm trying to show you the scope of salvation. He saves a blind beggar at the end of chapter 18. The beginning of chapter 19, he's now going after and ultimately will save one of the richest people in Jericho. Look at the scope within a few verses. The end of chapter 18, he saves a poor man, a blind beggar. Chapter 19 opens up with him saving the rich person. So when you think of that person that you're, you're, that you're saying is too far, understand, look at the scope of what God is able to save. He can save you and your friends, whether you are rich, whether you are poor, whether you are black, whether you are white, whether you are a Democrat, whether you are Republican, whether you're gay, whether you're straight, Jesus can save you. He's going after Zacchaeus. Verse number five says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house. I'm sure Zacchaeus was like, first of all, how does he know my name? Second of all, if he knows my name, what else does he know about me? Truth is, Jesus knew everything about him. Why? Because Colossians 1 and John 1 tells me that Jesus created and sustained all of life. So he created Zacchaeus. The one he's going after, he created him, so he knows all things about him. I know Zacchaeus was like, man, how does he know this about me? This is important for us to see. Zacchaeus is not only known by Jesus, but he was created by Jesus. Note the word today. Jesus said, and I ask you to circle it. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. He didn't wait till Zacchaeus went home and cleaned up the house He didn't wait for the next week and say, Zacchaeus, let me know. Send me a little message when it's time. Send me a text message when it's time for me to come over your house. No, he says, come down, come out the tree because I'm coming to your house today. You ever, I hate when I'm surprised by guests, when you just show up at my house. I'm I'm just being honest. I don't like it. You just show, you ring the doorbell. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect you. And you ever had that guest come over and you actually didn't clean up all the rooms. And so when they come in, you start closing doors and they just sit in the living room like, don't move out of this living room. Stay right here. See, that's the difference with Jesus. There was one time when uh, we were selling our house in Pennsylvania and I got a phone call. Ty wasn't home. I got a phone call. The house was a mess because Ty wasn't home. And y'all know how us guys do. And in this phone call, uh, it, it was the realtor, and he was like, hey, somebody wants to stop by. A potential tenant wants to stop by. I'm like, fine. They'll be there in 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, man. I'm looking at the dishes in the sink like, oh, no. I kid you not. I took, I never even told her that. I took all of the dishes out, and I put them inside the oven, and I closed the oven. So when they were walking around the house, I was going, Lord, don't let them open this oven. Well, they didn't open the oven. But see, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus. 
she's going to forgive me because I'm talking about Jesus. So hopefully she lets the, the dirty dishes in the oven pass. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't need you to clean the house for him to come over. Like Jesus doesn't want you to have the doors closed. He doesn't care. What he does is he comes in, opens up all the doors. He opens up the stove and he takes the dishes and starts washing them. See, that's what I love about Jesus. He's not asking you to clean up nothing. When it comes to salvation, there's no section in your life where a door should be closed. But Jesus comes in and he opens up all the doors and he takes care of everything. And that's what I love about him. Watch Zacchaeus' response. Because he said, I'm coming today. Zacchaeus' response in verse number six. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. That's the true mark of a Christian. The true mark of a Christian receives Jesus with joy. We don't receive Jesus for the stuff he gives. See, that's the beauty in the gospel is that you don't get Jesus plus stuff. The beauty in the gospel is that you get Jesus and he's enough. He received Jesus with joy. Zacchaeus receives him with joy. This means that Jesus is the one that brings joy. First Peter uh, 1.8 says this. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Here it is. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Jesus Christ brings joy. In the midst of Zacchaeus' filthy sin, he still owes people money because we haven't got to verse 8 yet. He still needs to give back all the people that he defrauded, yet he's coming to Jesus with joy. That's what I love about Romans 5, verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't wait for you to clean yourself or the house up. Verse number 7. So he receives them with joy. Verse number 7. And when he saw, and when he saw it, they grumbled it. They grumbled. This is talking about the crowd. He is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Really what's playing out right here is what was talked about in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Jesus got nicknamed in, in, in chapter 7, verse 34 of Luke. He gets nicknamed the, the friend of sinners and tax collectors. That's Jesus' nickname. And so Jesus is in every way living up to his name right now. But, but what's interesting here is if Zacchaeus is not truly transformed and he, Jesus comes to his house and then the next day he goes, Zacchaeus goes and robs someone else when he's collecting taxes. What that does is say that Zacchaeus is a, they can say Zacchaeus is a hypocrite and Jesus is a fraud. And so how you respond to Jesus with your actions and people says a lot about Jesus. Like, I think we miss that point when it comes to Jesus. We think that we can receive Jesus and live out and do any old thing we want to. But the very character, the very reputation of our King, Jesus Christ, is on the stake when you are out in the street doing whatever it is you want to do. Zacchaeus meets Jesus and is transformed. And if he's not transformed, there's no other way. Think about this. There's no other way for the crowd that's grumbling to say that he was truly impacted by Jesus if his behavior doesn't change. If his behavior stays the same, then the crowds will know that Jesus was a fraud. But our king isn't a fraud and our behavior should show, no, I'm transformed. So watch what Zacchaeus does. 
Watch this retribution that he, he didn't even have to make this, by the way. Jesus doesn't tell him to make this next statement, but watch what Zacchaeus says. This is how, this is how you know he's transformed. Verse number eight. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Note that Jesus did not command him to make that statement. This generosity that he's showing right here is not to be saved. Verse five, Jesus already said, I'm coming to your house. This is the response of somebody that was transformed. Let me tell you, your works, I don't care if you have the same response that Zacchaeus does. If your actions in doing it is to be saved, it's wrong. Because Jesus is doing this out of response that Jesus already, I mean, Zacchaeus is doing this out of response that Jesus already said, I am coming to your house. And so this act of charity and restitution was more than the law required. It was, it was, it was more than Jesus even asked for. But yet you get to see how this man is impacted. And greed may not be your issue. Greed was Zacchaeus' issue. But you may have a, you may have a whole other set of issues. Maybe it's gossiping. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's fornication. I can't stop having sex outside of marriage. Maybe that's your issue. Maybe your issue is lying or adultery. Maybe you're addicted to porn. Maybe you're addicted to drugs. Whatever your issue is, when Jesus comes in your life, it should change everything. And I'm not saying it's cold turkey. For some people it is, but maybe for some of you, it needs to be a process. And you need to be walking with people that can hold you accountable for the issues that you have. And here's the truth. Everybody in this room, from everybody in the soundboard to everybody to that end of the wall, has issues. You may not have the issues Zacchaeus has, but you have an issue. Look at Zacchaeus' response to his issue. He knew that greed was his issue, so what does he do? I'm going to give half of my estate to the poor. And anybody I defrauded, I'm going to give them up to four times the amount that I took from them. So remember that $10 I said? Zacchaeus is now saying, I'm giving them 40 back. And here's the crazy thing. He could have just said, I'm going to make retribution for the people that did me wrong and I'm sure that would have been enough. But then he says, I'm giving, after I've done that, I'm giving up the half of what I have to the poor. And this would have put him, possibly could have put him in a big financial jeopardy. But he was so transformed by Jesus that he didn't care. He didn't care. He's like, man, listen, I got to do what I got to do. Let's keep going. Verse number nine. And Jesus said to him, today, Salvation, again, there's today. Salvation has come to this house since he is also the son of Abraham. You know what I found interesting when I read that? I was processing through verse five and verse number nine this week. The reason I was processing those two is because in verse number five, Jesus says, I am coming to your house. In verse number nine, Jesus says, salvation comes to your house. So this shows us that Jesus isn't only the one that brings salvation he is salvation. The very thought of what salvation is, is wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We see this also play out in Luke chapter two with uh, uh, Simeon and Anna. 
When Jesus was still a baby, Jesus hadn't performed any miracles. He in fact, let me just read it real quick. Jesus didn't perform any miracles. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't preach a word yet. But watch what the response of this guy in Luke chapter 2 is. Verse 22. I'm going to just read all of it to get to the one point I want to make about Jesus not only bringing salvation, but him being salvation. Look at what it says in verse 22. This is Jesus now. Let me just put in context. Jesus' parents are taking him to the, to the temple to be dedicated. But watch what it says. And when the time had come for purifications according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens, who, who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and a young pigeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, here it is, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until the Lord's Christ. In other words, he's not, the, the Holy Spirit told Simeon he won't die until he sees the one that's going to bring salvation. Watch what happens in verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, of, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed him. First of all, don't ever just take anybody's baby. That's just, that's a no, I do that to Victoria all the time. I'm just saying, that's a no-no though. Don't just take anybody's baby. Verse number 28, and he took him in his arms and he blessed him. And the Lord, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Here it is, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He does not say, my eyes have seen the one that's bringing salvation. Simeon had enough sense to know the one that he was holding was salvation. So Jesus didn't just the one that's bringing salvation on the cross. But as a baby, they knew that Jesus is the one that is salvation. And so Zacchaeus was not saved here in verse number nine based on um, his giving back to the poor and giving to the people he defrauded. No, verse five, when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, salvation's coming to your house. So he's already saved. And what we do is we, we tend to think, man, I've brought something to this table of salvation. Yeah, I know salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, but yet I go out and I live according to the law. I want to appease God by what I do, not the gospel. The gospel says, I can't do it. I can't work hard enough. So Zacchaeus here is knowing I'm saved not by anything that I've done. I'm doing this stuff as, out of acts of kindness because I've been so impacted by Jesus. I'm not doing this because... Jesus Christ, because I bring anything and I'm helping Jesus out. We don't help out when it comes to our own sin. So since he is called here the son of Abraham, this also proves the point. At the end of the chapter of verse number nine, it says, it called him the son of Abraham. Now we know that that literally doesn't mean he's Abraham's son. Like Abraham didn't birth him. But what Jesus is showing us when he says the son of Abraham, Jesus is showing us that the same faith that Abraham exhibited is what Zacchaeus is showing. 
And so the salvation, again here, is showing, it's proving my point, that salvation is by faith alone. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says, And he believed the Lord, talking about Abraham, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith in the Lord, faith in a Christ that was to come. And so our boy Zacchaeus is saved by faith in Christ. And Christ hadn't even died yet. But yet Jesus is saying, I can, I can say this person is saved because they have faith in me. And so works doesn't do it. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I like that verse in King James. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so salvation doesn't work by us pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Salvation doesn't work by you working hard. Yes, please, listen, don't hear me say be saved and go out and act crazy. What I'm saying is your good behavior is a result of your salvation. It's not what made you saved. That's all I'm saying according to the scriptures. That's why I worship Jesus. This is why we worship Jesus. Because Jesus picked up where you and I fell drastically short. Jesus is able, this, get, understand this, what it would have taken for us to appease the wrath of God was eternity in hell. Jesus did it in six hours. Jesus goes to a cross on your behalf in six hours, takes all of your sin and absorbs it. He stands in your place condemned so that you can stand before, the God, before God and not be condemned. Listen, if you haven't trusted Jesus, you need to today. Hell is hot and eternity is long. That's all I'm saying. And I'm not trying to use scare tactics, but because scare tactics doesn't get anybody into heaven. You're not, you're not saved because you're scared of hell. You're saved because Jesus saves you. And so I don't know who you are in here, but maybe you've come in here and you've been wrestling with salvation. Maybe you've come consistently and you've been wrestling with salvation. The biggest sinner in Jericho just got saved. There's hope for us. There's hope for you that came in here broken, hurt, confused. There's hope for you. And even if you have trusted Jesus, rejoice in the fact that you didn't have to work for it. Because if we did, we would have never been saved. Let us pray. And as we're about to pray, every head bow and every eye closed. As we are about to pray, I want us to consider where we put up plexiglass. The church has put up plexiglass, but where have you in your life put up plexiglass to keep sinners far away from you? Remember that list I told you to make of people that you think are unredeemable, that the Lord can't save? When we do that, what we've done is we've, we've chopped down the sycamore tree. The sycamore tree that they need to climb up in to see Jesus, they can't see Jesus because we're chopping it down. Forgive us, Lord. And I also want to pray for the person that doesn't know Jesus. Listen, you need him today. Did you notice Jesus wasn't saying, man, I'm coming to your house next I'm coming today, today. Do not leave out of here unless you've trusted Jesus. There's plenty of people you can talk to about what that means, how that impacts your life. You need to trust him. If you have not trusted Jesus, every head bow, if you have not trusted Jesus, would you slip your hand in the air?
Say, I want to give my life to this Christ. This one that's able to save Zacchaeus. If he can save him, he can save me. If he can save guys like David, he can save me. Is there one that would say, I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to trust Jesus today. There's not one. I want to pray for those of you in this room that can be honest. Only honest people respond to this next question. Is there anybody in here that knows somebody that they think is unredeemable? They know a Zacchaeus and we've chopped down the tree. We stop praying for them. We stop engaging them with the gospel. We, are, we know that they're far and we're okay with them going to hell. Would you slip your hand in the air? I see those hands. Would you do me a favor? Would you step down front? Because I love to pray for you. Because the truth of the matter is, it takes boldness. It takes boldness. If you can't get all the way to the front, maybe in those aisles, it takes boldness for us to engage people that we know are lost. It takes boldness. Even the apostles had to pray for boldness. It doesn't come natural. Sharing the gospel and praying for our lost friends, our lost family members, takes boldness. Listen, you're about to gather with people, maybe that's on your mind right now, this week. Many of you will sit around the table and eat turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce and not share the gospel with them. Forgive us, Lord. Let me pray. Father, I pray for every person that came up on this altar today. They are responding to the fact, Lord, and I'm on this altar, Lord. I'm not, I'm not exempt from this prayer. I am on the altar. We are here because we know that we stopped praying for people that did us wrong. Or we stopped praying for people that we know just too far for you, Lord. They're unreachable. Truth is, your arm is long enough. They can't outsend your grace. There's no such thing. Where sin abound, grace increased all the more. Lord, would you help these? Give them opportunities. Give them opportunities to share the gospel. Give them opportunities to talk about Jesus. Give them opportunities to share how Jesus impacted their life. Father, would you do that? And after that's done, salvation isn't based on us merely sharing the gospel. We need your spirit to work, Lord. After we've prayed all week and after we've shared the gospel, would you breathe on that lost person? Would you save them, Lord? Would you help us to rejoice in the fact that 2016, we shared the gospel. They trusted. May they have a new birth. May they have the same experience that Zacchaeus has in Luke chapter 19. Where they climb up in that sycamore tree and meet you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.